Hello, everyone. I'm KOW's Greg Orlandini. This is the KOW Philly Soccer Show. And I'm Mike Servideo from Philly Soccer Page. And it's another tough stretch for the Union, uh, coming off a couple tough games on the road, but some home cooking for the Union now as they head back to town to take on Columbus again. And because we're masochists, we're going to talk to PSP tactical guru Adam Can about the Union's impotent offense. Yes, we are. That's an interesting word. Yes, we are. We're going to talk about that. Break. Uh, talk about Andre Bacon, his performance in a Gold Cup, and uh, Mike Pecky and his hilarious comedy routine. So, uh, everybody listen. Back by popular demand, I think at least one person on Twitter requested your presence, Adam. We have Adam Ken on the line to talk to us about the Philadelphia Union. How you guys doing? You know... We're here. We're hanging in there. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. We, we've seen two union games over the last week. How do you think we're doing? Yeah. And I think I, I <laughs> brought this up in the last podcast, and it always seems to come up that, you know, it was a really important three-game run for the union. You well, like this like, home like home I said to you when you said this yeah. last week, you know, if you don't win any of the first eight games of the season, a lot of the other games in the season become very important. Exactly. And... <laughs> So you had these two games against Montreal and your first first end of your home-and-home home against Columbus, and you lost them both. They're both on the road, which is tough, and you can make the arguments in the Columbus, the uh, first game against Columbus, that's a, you had a lot of injuries, and you had to kind of plug guys in there and things like that. But um, that doesn't explain kind of what we saw on the field, though. I, th- I mean, especially... You played against Columbus and Montreal, and yes, the Union are missing players through call-ups and injuries, but so were those other teams, and they were missing key players as well as the Union. You know, mm-hmm. to go to Montreal and not have to face Piotti is is a, is a great thing. Yes, um, to go to Columbus and not have Higuain in the lineup, you know, that's something that you would prefer, mm-hmm. and it did not make a difference. It really didn't, Adam. Uh, quick, real quick impressions those those two games. Well, I think the number one thing you notice is is pretty much exactly what Mike's hinting at, which is that the the union don't make much of an impression in either game. They they might have a plan, they they might play solid defense, but you don't have any sense of them uh controlling the game, taking play to the other team. And these are teams that, you know, aren't aren't in reality that much better or more talented than the union, but they definitely seem more uh if not more motivated, definitely more coordinated in what they're doing, and that's a that's a bad sign for a team that really relies on their, you know, sort of motivational and emotional side to to get them to the point where other teams are with talent alone. I, I think coordination. I think cohesion is a good word too. Something the union lacks, especially in the attack. Um, it, it it's just tough watching them go forward. It, it, it's it's you might be starting to That's see a polite the, way to say it. It, it it's, is. It's hard to watch them in the final third. <laughs> I think you're you're starting to see the kind of the CJ Sapong goal scoring swoon a little bit begin. Uh, he wasn't in the last game. You know they put Jay Simpson out there, who's not suited for this system. We know that it's looking like a bad signing. Not a big reflection on the player. I can't tell one way or the other. He hasn't played that much, and he's playing in a system that's really not suited for him. But I, I, but it, I mean, you just look at it in, in Columbus. Th- they had a real difficulty getting getting him the ball, and he's a guy that kind of needs people to get him the ball. 
I, th- I think that was one of the really tough parts about watching that game in Columbus is that you, you get starts for, for two guys that you've not seen start all season, which are Adam Najem and Marcus Epps, and then you, you slot Jay Simpson in front of them, and these are three guys that have not played a whole lot together. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be a lack of cohesion in that group already, and then you start them all together at the same yeah. time. I know that the some of that situation is uh, you know it's through injury and that there's, there's not a lot of other options. I mean, CJ couldn't go. The other night, but uh, I think it, it's tough to evaluate any of those guys. You know, you'd love to see one of those guys get slotted mm-hmm. in with the group that's been going for the last couple of games and, and see how that they, they can influence the game. But when you're when you're bringing in a whole new offensive group, it's really hard. Yeah, no, it's really it's very difficult. Um, Adam, what did you think of Najam? I thought he did some had some nice moments. I thought he's he's a guy that's kind of committed to moving the ball and getting the ball forward. Which you haven't seen out of the ten spot a lot. Um, again, it's his first start. <laughs> He's a young guy. I mean, it's not like what you see for at at El Senio, who you know wants the ball, wants to beat guys. Isn't necessarily the best passer in the world. So his his thing is more you know just kind of get the ball and just plow through people. Um, so, I mean, what, what was your impression, uh, such as it was? Well, I, I thought one of the interesting things that something I probably didn't didn't notice at first, but now that I've thought about that game a little bit, I, I noticed that Najem moves in the center a bit more than Elsinio or Alberg do. He, in a sense that he, he can actually move a defense around a little bit. And that's, that's really helpful when, uh, especially when, you know, Jay Simpson was almost constantly checking back during the first 60 minutes of that game. Najem moves in and out. He at least makes the defense, uh, know where he is and look for him. And that can at least, you know, pull open some spaces in the center. And the Union really haven't had that. You know, the only time they have been able to go down the center successfully has been in transition. They they can't really break teams down through the middle otherwise without uh, without a playmaker. And there's someone who not only wants the ball, but uh, sort of has a sense of how to move around in there. So I, I, I liked that he was doing that. It, it was clear that he had, you know, a, if not confidence issues, just um, more sort of he deferred to the uh, more senior players more than he should have. There were a couple instances where he could have taken space and said he passed. And there were a couple instances where he made a pass and the other player should have been there. And he was the one apologizing. And I, I think, uh, you know, that's, those are problems, but, you know, good signs for the future. A guy who can eventually sort of assert himself more will make the union better in there. My, my big thought on him though, is still that, I prefer to see him in a deeper role where he's facing the field. Um, as fine as he is with the ball at his feet further up, you didn't, of course, given the union's uh, number of shots that they got, which was two, um, you didn't see him creating much. And I think that's because he probably operates better when he has a little bit more time to look up and see the field. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think it's necessarily a problem to have Alejandro Bedoya further up the field when you're, when you have no other options at the number 10. And you can use Najem in that deeper role. I mean, watching Najem last game and then for the the little cameo appearance he made against Montreal, to me he reads more like the the Vincent Nagara type eight player, where he wants to be a little further back in the field, but he wants to be the guy that's receiving the ball from the back line and and moving it up through the midfield. He doesn't read to me like the the ten who's going to be a little bit back towards goal, a little bit forward-facing, and, and looking to feed his strikers. I, th- I I agree with you. I think he'd probably want a little bit more time on the ball and maybe have it a little further back in the field. So I th- I, he, to me, just he reads as the eight, which we seem to have an abundance of now, and still no tens. Yeah. 
Now that's an interesting observation, and, and that uh, it struck me a couple times. Like you said, that he's. That's Are you guys he, seeing him that way too? Am I am I crazy? Um, again, it's with a really small sample size yeah. with him, yeah, it, it's tough to say. But there were certain moments in the game where, yeah, you, you you were reminded of Vincent a little bit, where he's a guy that you know has the ball and wants to move it quickly and wants to look up and you know maybe not necessarily be the guy that makes that last pass, but makes makes a good pass and makes a pass that's going forward the way you know Vincent Aguirre used to do. Like you'd be always kinda at that point of the triangle where somebody could, could lay it off or he's like that kinda kinda that that relief valve or something when a play is kind of breaking down, he's always there. Um you, you saw a little bit of that with with, with Najem. So maybe you're right, but again, you know, I've read other things where he projects more offensively, a little higher up the field. So I'm not sure. Again, I'd like to yeah see more of them. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, I mean, uh, so so the to, to me right now, I, I Mike, I agree with you to the extent that I think he's right now probably embodying um, many of the the positive traits that Nogueira had um, as a as an eight but also many of the, the negative traits that he had. And so he sort of ends up more of like a seven because, you know, he's going to do things that you want a, a midfielder that, you know, has good technical ability and likes to move the ball uh, is going to do in a deeper role. But um, he's probably, his defensive instincts aren't great. And also he, I, I'm even uh, against Columbus and, you know, there weren't that many opportunities, but he wasn't looking to get in the box as much. And that was something that uh, the union struggled with, with Nagara for most of his career here is, you know, if you're going to be that deeper midfielder, we also need you to get forward and get in the box and, you know, we'll have support mm-hmm. back there, but you have to get forward. And I, I wonder if Najem is the same way and that if you put him in a deeper role, he tends to stay deeper. And then that means that while he's good at moving the ball out of the back, he uh, takes a player out of that, uh, that final third area. Right, he's not that extra guy, which you kind of get with Bedoya, kind of running the eight. He'll he'll kind right. of he'll kind of be that late runner. He wants he'll he'll crash the box or he'll jump into, you know, he's more of a guy that will jump in the space higher up yeah, the field. Yeah, he did that at the beginning of of the Columbus game. Bedoya had a couple overlapping runs, and I think it was in the second or third minute he had he had one where he was upset at Eds for missing him. Mm-hmm. And and for the Union, you know, they they need they need something out of midfield offensively. You know, uh, if they're going to stick with this system where they have a you know, deep line playmaker, they need the other midfielder to get forward. They need bodies in the final third, especially without, uh, you know, a number 10 for the, the field to move the ball around. Mm-hmm. If you're going to get the ball high and wide, you got to have people in the box to receive it. Yeah. And it just, you know, again, like we're saying off mic, it just goes back to that. They don't have that number 10. They don't have a guy that dictates the play that that kind of you know is, is the throttle <laughs> for lack of a better term you know he can speed things up he can slow things down they don't have anybody right now on this roster that really does that for you well i i will say this and uh, you know I'll, I'll see what mike thinks about this after i i say it because one, one thing i i think in cj sapong's game that has been much better this year is that when he checks back and when he's giving you hold-up play, he's been very good at distributing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't always have the options around him that he needs, but he's been far better at that. And I think that in the games the Union have played well, that's been very apparent. That not only does CJ put in the defensive work, but his distribution has improved, and he, he plays a lot quicker. Once he's able to turn, he takes the ball forward. He defers a bit too much, though. I, you know, I'd like to see CJ shoot more from you know, somewhere. Never going to happen. The box. Yeah, I know. It's, I, I don't know why I keep expecting it, but... 
but it, he he does give you some distribution so that I don't know that the union necessarily need a number 10 as much as they need someone who is going to be a focal point of the offense. Cause I, I think they can use CJ to distribute, but in the same way that Montreal can survive using Piatti as a, as a sort of playmaking wing, I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibility for the union. I just think that the, you know, the one place they're already stacked is the wings and nobody that they have out there is going to do that. And that's probably what they hoped to get from Il Signo when they first signed him. And at this point, you know, uh, I think expecting anything different out of Il Signo than what he's given, which is, you know, low return is, is probably the definition of insanity. I'm looking. I'm looking at the union's um, assists uh, stats right now, which is is just really sad. Um, but you have, you have Harris with seven assists on the season, and yeah, you can you can see that that's probably your your best playmaking midfielder when he's out there. Then you have Chris Pontius on six, and it goes down really fast after that. Though you have CJ Sapong on three. At four, you have Fabian Herbers at two, mm-hmm. who hasn't. When was the last time Fabian played? It's two, been a while. Two months ago. Yeah, it's been three a months ago. And then you have Bedoya with two. I mean, right. Which I think are his first two assists for as the team. A, for, yeah, as a yeah he had player. none last year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you need, you need some assists out of your midfield. You, you've got 13 between Harris and Chris Pontius. I mean, how many of those from Chris Pontius are him just heading the ball back across the goal? Uh, yeah, Three the, of them. I mean, those the, are valuable. Out, but, yeah. I mean, they're not key passes so, so much as, you know, passes on the ground with your mm-hmm. feet. You know, I, I think we all think that of those, how many of those are, do you think are Pontius and Madunian on the same play racking up an assist? I bet, I bet there's probably a couple. Yeah. That's a little scary. Yeah. Madunian and lofting a ball to Pontius to head down for Sapong to head in. Right. We've seen that three times. Yeah. I, I can, I can think of at least yeah. off the top of my head. Um, so I want to talk about a player that's had a tough couple games. That's uh, uh, Guillermo Wijnaldum. You know, all three of these goals in the last two games, you could kind of point to him. Uh, you know, you you know, it's a team effort, it's a team game, and all that. But he was kind of the focal point of three of those goals that the that the team gave up. Uh, it, it's you know, he's still a young guy. He's a guy dressing to the league. He's getting minutes, and you know, I'm hopeful for him. I think he's got a pretty good good ceiling. But yeah, he's he's had a tough outing. Uh, what, what what do you say, Adam? I, I agree with you. I don't I don't put the Columbus goal on him. I think he, he was, for the most part, doing the right thing. And I think the Columbus goal, uh, El Senior shouldn't have let his man turn. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it, it was, you know, Mira made a really good run to, to get in the space behind Wijnaldum, who already had a man. And both uh, Madunian and Elliott uh, drifted back to the center too fast and didn't pick up that extra man. Um, but but I, I think Wijnaldum, throughout that game and throughout the past, couple games has had trouble figuring out where he's supposed to be off the ball um, and has been very wary of getting too close to his man and getting beat. And uh, I'm not sure why he's soon, but I think another thing is he hasn't seen a lot of the ball and I think getting on the ball gives him confidence. Mm -hmm. And the union in the past few games have had trouble getting either fullback involved further up the field. And I think until you do that with, Wijnaldum, it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough for him to feel like he's in the game. Yeah, it, it's just I, I watched the, the the Columbus goal like at least three or four times last night, and it just felt like 
you know, and I hate to beat up on the kid, but it just felt like he he gets in kind of in two minds. He doesn't know he doesn't know when to step up when when the guy in front of him has the ball, or if two or if two step up, and it just felt like kind of everything around them started kind of collapsing. And again, I don't know. You're saying it's probably not his fault. Probably you're probably right, but just kind of the optics of it that you know he stops and kind of everybody around them is unsure of their situation, and then Columbus kind of keeps moving. So it, it, it was incumbent on somebody to step up in that play, and you kind of look at one Olympias. His guy had the ball in front of him, and he didn't, and he was kind of caught in two minds. Yeah, that, that's that's been a an interesting thing to watch with him. Is that you know Fabinho and Ray Gattis are both very aggressive in getting tight to players as soon as they can, mm-hmm. and Wijnaldum is exactly the opposite. He he gives a lot of space to the ball carrier, and he does on that play too. I mean, he he approaches him and then he stops and he basically gives him time to look up and think and pass. And I mean, it, it in in my mind that that didn't uh, that didn't damn him on that play, but mm-hmm. it's been a constant since he joined the lineup is giving, giving a lot of space to the man on the ball, giving the man on the ball time to make a decision. And that's sort of the, the name of the modern game is to, you know, pressure is about making people make decisions before they're ready. Right. And he does not do that very well yet. And, and now everybody, you know, he's, he's played a few games. so Everybody's got tape on him. So I think, you're seeing, you're definitely seeing. I think teams are going at him with that kind of overloading that side where they know he's not going to step up, and that's going to be, you know, he's he's giving away space, so they know they can overload that side a little bit and kind of get, you know, get get mismatches. Yeah, and and I I think going going after him is probably at this point uh, easier for teams than going after after Gaddis, uh, particularly because. Gaddis has, has done a better job of recovering to his position and Wijnaldum will sometimes get caught a couple steps ahead of the rest of the line. I don't think teams have been easy. shy about going at Ray, though. I think particularly Kansas City was all about going down the, the Union right side. Yeah, I, no, I don't think they're shy about going at Ray, but I think they have they have definitely found that Gaddis will, once you so once you get in the final third against the Union, one of, one of the issues that they've had is that they kind of let you stay there a while. Um, you know, they absorb pressure when you play with a, a deep line or with a you know, two center backs who drop really quickly. It gives teams a chance to come up race side and then work the ball around uh, Giuliano's side, and that's where that's where he struggles a bit. Is once the ball comes to his side, he's not necessarily ready for it to be over there. He's not in the right position when it arrives. Well, I, I want to switch gears a little bit and go back to talking about the offense or <laughs> the the lack thereof. Um, and I'm not even sure if this is like beating the dead horse or like a, a non-starter <laughs> subject, but is the, is the, is the formation just completely jump the shark here? Like, I mean, it's so rigid and they're creating so little out of it that I th- the last two games, it, it's, it's kind of, it's been frustrating for me to, to not see them bring in another striker late in the game to at least kind of push the, the game up a little bit further up the field or, I mean, I don't think that they're ready to try a five-back system, but I want to just—I want, want to see a little bit of something, some some desperation, if 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 anything. I know they don't know—they say they don't want to change the formation just to change the formation. You're not doing that at this point. You're changing the formation to win soccer games. At least, to, at least you're changing it to generate some mm-hmm. sort of you know offensive pressure on the other team. At least you know make a team like Columbus hesitate before sending those wingbacks forward, which you know they didn't have to do at all, and that's. 
you know, eventually going to burn you if you just keep letting them send those, those wide players up to overload the wide areas. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know if a formation change is, is going to do much, but I, I sort of, I see your point that they have the personnel to do it and they have the personnel to do it better than they have with the current system, which, you know, is another way of saying sort of what Greg started with. They don't have a 10. They don't have someone who's, who can create offense without having numbers high up the pitch. Um, they don't have any other way to get the ball at the pitch right now except by looking for Fafa Pico over the top. And if that's what you're going to do, then you might as well put two strikers up there to be in the box when he gets it, even if he's you know not going to pass it to the guy sitting at the six-yard box. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, uh. and that's, that's the thing. We, we, we talk about they've changed personnel. They've plugged different guys in, kind of all over the pitch, and that hasn't really changed much. So I, that's the I, the logical next step is a, is a change of formation or a change, you know, to, just to mix things up at this point. Well, I think that's the the complaint that a lot of the fans and even uh, us journalists have with the way that Jim Curtin and Ernie Stewart have set up this team because they've decided on a formation and then failed to get the players to play in that formation. Yeah. And it goes back to, I mean, we've said this about Jay, Jay Simpson, right. That it's obvious. He's not that kind of lone striker kind of guy that they want that, that, that suits the system. I thought in Harrisburg, he played kind of that false nine. That was interesting. I don't know if that was by design or just what the team gave him, but I, I think if you want to do this formation and you make some adjustments, maybe that could work. I don't know. It's, yeah. it, you know I it, mean, you it, have it, a guy perfectly <laughs> slotted to play a false nine if you if if, if you wanted one because I, I don't think that there's another position that Roland Allberg can play. No, he does not play the ten. If you put him at the ten, he plays the false nine. Yeah, he's not going to show up for you until the ball gets in the final third, and then he might create something magnificent, or he might just not do anything how, at all. I mean, how many times have we seen Roland Allberg kind of sit off of uh, CJ's shoulder? Not dropping deep to get the ball to distribute, but going forward like a striker with the other striker. I mean, how many times have we seen that? It's the only role he can play on yeah. this team. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I thought, but, I'm just pulling my hair out thinking yeah. this, this, these guys do not fit this formation still. Yeah, no, I, I, I think so. I think one thing to, to keep in mind that I do, I do consider sort of what the early changes that Jim Curtin made to be something of a formation change, the way that they changed how they use their fullbacks so that you're no longer pushing those guys up the field as much and using them as your first pass, you know, into midfield. I think that's, that's a version of a formation change. Um, but I, you know, obviously it, it helped defensively for a while. I'm not sure it's, you know, enough. Not helped offensively but, though. Right. And, and I, I sort of, I really agree with you guys that Alberg and Simpson don't fit the current system in, in not so much in shape terms, but in terms of opportunities where, one of the things that uh, reporters were asking Columbus players after the game last Saturday was, how do you feel about this you know, 3-4-3 formation and the fact that it's sort of designed to create better chances but fewer chances? And Columbus has been a team that, under Burhalter traditionally, has created a lot of chances. You know, They get the ball up the field, um, they want to pass it around, and then they want to get it up and wide, and then they're going to you know, have someone in the middle who can finish when they dump balls in, and they're going to create a high volume. The unions, number 10, and even Jay Simpson, I think, you know, Alberg, Ilsenia, whatever you want to say, who, whoever can play the number 10, you know, uh, uh, Bedoya as well. These are guys who 
you, you could see them in that position if the team is creating a lot of chances. If the team is generating a lot of chances, then Simpson up there, yeah, he, you could see him being a guy that can put away one or two. The same with Alberg. If you're putting a lot of balls in areas that are, you, know, you can finish a ball, Willem Alberg can certainly you know, shoot the crap out of a ball from mm. just about anywhere on earth. And, and so if you are generating a lot of chances, I think this is an acceptable roster to have. I don't quite understand why they thought they would generate a lot of chances with, you know, the, the shape and system that they have. It seems much more like their team that's going to try and go forward in transition and create a couple good odd man rushes and get chances out of that and finish it. And that's certainly not, uh, you know, a, a plan that's conducive to the attackers that they have right now. Um, and I also think they've had a lot of trouble with either communicating to the guys what they want them to do offensively or just having people listen. I mean, the the fact that they didn't take advantage of the space behind the wingbacks against Columbus is something that, that just baffles me even, even now a few days later. I, I can't figure out whether that was poor planning or whether it was just guys, you know, not listening or not paying attention. Did they look? You probably look back at this tape more than I have. Did they have guys making runs into those positions for someone to play a ball into? Because it didn't seem like that for most of the night. No, they didn't. And and but the I guess the issue is they had they had opportunities. They had situations where there was one play I tried to highlight in the anal- tactical analysis early on, where Elsinio had the space to run into, and instead he checked in. There were a couple times where. You know, as soon as uh, a wingback would step forward to the union's winger, Jay Simpson had the space to roll out into that area, and he didn't. And traditionally, the union have been a team that keeps their striker in the center. But, you know, against the 3-5-2, you want to try and isolate your your attacking players against their center backs out in space. And they they didn't seem to be trying to do that. Epps did it a couple times early, but later on, you would see that he was actually waiting short and looking for the ball. And I I, I don't understand that. If there's if there's a good reason for it, you know, I'm happy to listen, but it, it certainly wasn't yeah. wasn't what I expected given the space that was available in those wide areas. So Columbus coming to uh Chester tomorrow or Wednesday or whenever you're listening to this. What do you see the union they're, they're gonna get some of the hurt guys back. It sounds like CJ's ready to go. Um uh, don't recall what they said about Fafa, but I think he may be. No, no, no Fafa. He was training on the side today. Yeah, so, okay, yeah, I think probably not. Um, I think Alberg Al- was a card accumulation. No, he got, it was a, a suspension for the tackle he made. Oh, that's, oh right. Oh, God. Disciplinary yeah. committee. Oh, yeah. right, right, right. Oh, yeah, that was a terrible tackle. It was a terrible tackle, but it wasn't. Yeah, but, it was know. not worthy to go back and suspend him. If you're, no. I mean, if, if we're going to be talking about disciplinary stuff, can we can we talk about Mike Pecky oh, for absolutely. a second? Absolutely. I'm, <laughs> we okay. I'm absolutely going to talk about Mike Pecky. He's he's the hero of the week. But, that was uh, that was epic. <laughs> so so regardless, you're getting some guys back. Uh, what do you see, uh, Adam? The union doing differently, if 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 anything. Well, I really hope that what they're going to do is push their fullbacks up a bit and try to challenge Columbus's wingbacks, try and challenge control of those wide areas. Do you have the fullbacks on the field to do that with this group, though? Because Gaddis and Wijnaldum have not done that. I almost think that you could switch both fullbacks out and have better luck getting up the wings at this point. I know Keegan Rosenberry has not shown well, and I don't know what Fabinho did specifically to lose this job. But those were two guys that were very successful running the touchline last year that we've not seen in about a month now. I, I completely agree with that. I think those are, if you're going to push your fullbacks forward, I think those are the probably the guys to do it with. Although I also, I like the idea of 
keeping Wijnaldum in there to be a more cautious adventurer forward. I think he's he's also been a smarter when he's been in the final third or when he's been in the opponent's half, he's been smarter on the ball than Fabinho has. And I, I value that a lot, having having lived with Fabinho for a while. You know, I appreciate how quickly he gets forward, but uh, his decision-making up there doesn't always, you know, live up to the energy that got him there. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think that it's it's a, a problem with the personnel they're using uh, is that it enhances their defensive capabilities at the expense of getting guys forward and getting numbers into the final third to control the ball, or at least into the opponent's half. Um, and I think they, at this point, they need, without Fafa going, they need another way to have possession in dangerous areas, aside from going over the top. Because, you know, if you're, if you're starting CJ and you're starting whoever you put on the right, on the right wing, and you're starting whoever you put in the left wing, and there are, none of them are Fafa Pico, then you, we have no evidence of anyone trying to go over the top. And so you have to figure out instead a way to get bodies further forward quicker so you can create some numerical advantages if you're not going to be able to stretch the field. I feel like I've come like full circle on the Keegan Rosenberry thing because I feel like at first I was like, why is he not playing? I know he's not been great, but we know what Ray Gattis is about. And then we saw Keegan in the Open Cup and he was he was pretty poor. I mean, I don't think he, he was confident on the ball. I don't think he was good defensively. But then I've watched Ray Gattis the last couple of games be pretty poor on the ball and not great defensively too. And, you know, I come back to the idea of we know the limit of what great Ray Gattis is going to give you, especially going forward. We don't know what the limit is of what Keegan Rosenberry can bring to the team when he's when he's firing on all cylinders. So I, I think I'm, I'm ready to, to, to try it again at this point just because you're getting so little coming down the, the wing on the right side. I don't know yeah, where you guys I, are I, with this. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, 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 it's... T- it's tough because you're in a spot where you need to win games, and I know Jim has, for whatever reason, confidence in Gaddis right now. But having said that, everything you said was right, and we know we we know where he's ceiling, and I think he's at it, and he's been at it for a couple of years. And I think a lot of people think, oh, he's still a young player. He's you know he's he's been around a little bit now. He's not a young player, so this is the guy you got. You know he's not an old guy, but I mean this is this is this is the finished product of Ray Gaddis. This is what you got. Keegan's not the finished product yet. Um, we hope. We hope. I mean, we we assume. We hope, just based on what we saw last year. But but at this point, even when he was struggling, you could see he he at least wants to kind of go out there and combine with other players and kind of get involved. I mean, his confidence wasn't always there, but at least he had that d- desire to kind of. I think of a couple games where he came in as a sub, and him and uh, him and Pontius linked up almost almost immediately in a couple of those games, and were able to kind of work one, you know, work overlaps and things like that. So I don't know. I, I, I'd think, throw him I out do there. think that's 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 one of the the better arguments. What you just said, Greg, is one of the better arguments. Like I, arguments I can think of for not going with Keegan, because I I think that having Pontius out there gives you a lot of experience and a lot of protection for him. And I think almost anyone else you can stick out on that right wing uh, Wednesday night is not going to give the same level. And I think that's, that's gotta be worrying if if you're the union. Um, 
you know, you know that Columbus is a, is a team that likes to attack wide and you're going to put a fullback out there who, you know, he lost his position because he was, you know, having trouble figuring out where he needed to be defensively. And when he's come back, he's shown the same issues. Uh, and so you, especially against Justin Miriam, who's a guy that has shown again and again, he's very hard for the union to track. They just don't seem to do a very good job of figuring out where he's going to be. I think that's, that's worrying. But at, at the same time, I, I think that you need to find some other way to generate offense. And Keegan is a clear offensive upgrade over Ray, even though I think Ray has been better on the ball uh, this year than he was last time he was a regular starter. I, I don't, see that many other positions where you can say switching this guy for that guy is going to give you a clear offensive upgrade. So uh, let's do a quick prediction. And then we got a couple, uh, actually let's, let's, let's real quick talk about Andre Blake. Um, he's probably the man of the tournament so far for the gold cup He's one of the best players. And he's the big reason why Jamaica is in the final. He's been superhuman, like we know he can be, and he's just done, done some stuff I haven't really seen goalkeepers do. I mean, he's he's just been fantastic in, in this tournament, in a kind of a lousy t- overall tournament, but he's definitely one of the bright spots. Um, we saw today a transfer from Kansas City, Orlando, uh, Dom Dwyer, Kansas City getting $1.6 million, you know, however you kind of divvy up the pie, that's kind of what they're getting. Not exclusively on the strength of his Gold Cup performance, but I think that that definitely helped him. Uh, So on the strength of Andre Blake's Gold Cup performance, when is the sale going to happen, do you guys think? And I'm not saying if. I'm saying I feel like it's on the horizon. I think the only the only thing that maybe saves that from happening is that it's been a poor gold cup and maybe not a lot of people are watching it. Because <laughs> it's, it's been hard to watch. That's wishful thinking on your part. Uh, Adam, Adam uh, what say you? I, I think that the, the biggest thing holding up the Blake deal now is, you know, not, not teams asking, you know, is he really good enough to, to build around, but what, what do we want to pay for this guy and mm-hmm. what are the union willing to accept? I, I think that if, you know, if, if Ernie says he's not getting calls, he he's not being truthful. Because if if nobody's calling about a guy who just shut out Mexico for 180 minutes and did it with some pretty spectacular saves and also controlling the air far better than he did even a year ago, I, I think that that there's there's someone out there calling about him. There's someone out there saying this is a guy who's probably a fairly low cost alternative to what we have now, and he deserves a shot at the big time. Where where is where is he going though? What what kind of, what kind of league do you think is looking for a guy like Andre? Um, That's a very good question. Yeah. I, I I think because goalie is such a such a strange position where you can you can bring him into a pretty good club and give him a chance. I mean, when when Tim Howard's going to Manchester United, you know, out of MLS or I forget if that's the first place he went, but you know, goalie is sort of a special situation where you you bring a guy in you see if he instills confidence in your back line. You see if he can be a leader and if he's comfortable in a, you know, being around a lot of bigger egos that are going to have been there longer. And I, I think teams are more willing to take a chance on that, especially with the goalie market exploding this summer with, I, I think Man City paid 
forty million for. That's for like, you can't go by Man City though. Yeah, seriously. No, but but it, but it does <laughs> it does raise the the amount yeah. that is going to be paid for goalies across the board. Right, right, right. If, for sure. If they're paying that much for a goalie, then then the the price for the cheaper goalies is also going to go up. If if not, you know, substantially than a bit. And so I, I think someone coming out of MLS is still going to be a, a fairly good bargain for a team that's you know wants to throw you know a, a little bit of money out there at a goalie who potentially could be a star. So does he go to to the Dutch league? Does he go to like a mid table German team? Does he uh, uh, yeah, go, I, go to League One? I, I mean, I don't think he goes to the Prem, or I don't think he goes to to no. to uh, to Spain, uh, top flight in Spain. Uh, but I I think I, you know a Dutch league possibly. Um, maybe even Mexico. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know how how Jamaican uh, Jamaican players usually fare, and if if at all in the Mexican league. I think it seems like a lot of Jamaican guys either go to the prime or they're coming to MLS right now. Um, but it, I think that tier of league, though, I think you know the Dutch league, maybe like the Belgian league, because uh, it's I think better than it's been. But you can throw them in the in the mix, maybe like a mid table German team, like I said. I think those are I, I all think, viable spots for a guy like Andre Blake. Yeah, I, I would my my best guess if I, if you were to put me on the spot as you are is <laughs> that he uh, is that he would go to an ambitious second division club somewhere, mm-hmm. a club with with real ambitions of getting up to the top level, but that doesn't have the money to spend on on a goalie that like, you know is going to be a game changer for him. So so Blake is a guy that can come in and potentially be a game changer. I mean, they've seen that you know at least in the Gold Cup he he does have that ability against. You know, against a team like Mexico, that you know, even if it's not their their top squad, still a team that was expected to get to the final and probably compete for the cup. Uh, so I, I think that's probably where you'll see him is is an ambitious uh, second division team or a um, a lower tier first division team somewhere that's you know needs that defensive solidity to hold on. What do you what do you think the the transfer fee could be for someone like Andre? Do you think it's like in the three to four million range, or is, is that a little ambitious? <laughs> God, I, it's so hard to tell because you don't really get good numbers from MLS about mm. how much, you know, how much other teams value their players. Um, you, you would imagine if it's less than that, then you'd be surprised. I mean, if, if so, it's only because he's older than you'd normally want to bring in a mm. prospect, but a goalie position is one where they can play well. So uh, yeah. he, he has, I, I don't think anyone can argue that Andre hasn't gotten better progressively with each, you know, sort of season mm. that he's been in the league. So I think that's a, that's, a very good sign for the union if they're hoping to recoup some money. I yeah, it, 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 it's tough, and I'm kind of racking my brain for the last decent transfer out of MLS and what what that went for. And it's, it's kind of my, my memory's uh, failing me a little bit. It's been a while. I mean, it hasn't been. You know, there's not a ton of uh, American players going to England right now, like like there were maybe ten years ago. There's you know, you still kind of have the middle class guy, middle class players going to the going to you know, the Scandinavian leagues, but you know, that, that I don't know if that's a good place to judge it. So I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what yeah, I mean, he would get. The, the I, last I, sort of big, big name I can remember is Fabian Castillo yeah. went to, to Galatasaray, right? He went to Turkey. And I, I have no idea how much he went for. Um, no, no idea what his price was. I don't remember anything about what, you know, other, other young goalies who left the league, yeah. uh, what they made, you know, guys like Guzan. Right, I mean, and then you know he's back now, so it's, uh, um, yeah. But I think three million would probably just as a number to throw out there. It's it's as good as numbers as I could come up with. And I think yeah, I mean, that, he 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 just he'd better he better break the bank, you know. He better 
he better bring in enough that the money he's bringing in after MLS takes its cut is enough that the union can use it to really retool. And, and not only use it also to kind of sell back to the fans that, you know, yes, he's our best player, but he's following his ambition to go to country X, you know, Germany, wherever, which, and we got this much money for him. So that's something you really got to kind of spin around and, sell to your fan base that yes we lost Andre Blake but we don't lose him for nothing and this is and we could turn this around and make the team better as a whole and, I think you, and you have to turn it around too oh absolutely I think, I oh, think oh it needs to be spent you, quickly and you, it needs to be spent on you, on you have to have something tangible yeah oh you have to have like a tangible transfer kind of because if you, if you get that money and you, you you spend it well we made this money and you do nothing that's a tough sell that's a very hard sell and that yeah, you yeah. you can't spread it around either. I mean, I, I think you got to bring in if they're getting money from Blake, they got to bring in one or two, you know, high quality players because he is he is the star now. You know, mm-hmm. for for all intents and purposes, he's the star. And I, I also think I, I hope that when he goes, you know, fans fans respect that. I, I hope there's no ill will towards him for wanting to leave because as good as he is right now, he deserves to take a shot somewhere. And yeah. you know, that's sort of how the union, how MLS should be for players like that right now. You know, it should be a launch pad, and then good teams are going to reinvest the money that they made developing a guy into, you know, staying relevant or, in the union's case, finding relevancy. MLS could be a selling team, uh, selling league and survive and survive well. I mean, that's kind of how the Dutch league has refashioned itself. It's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a launching pad for a lot of players and for a lot of, uh, uh, you know, to, to further their careers and, you could thrive doing that, and that's fine. But you know, in, in in this individual individual case, I mean, the union really have to take it. if they lose Andre Blake for, or not. I'm just going to lose him. But if they, you know, turn Andre Blake into a big payday for the team, they have to really do something with it. All right, well, here's, uh, yes. here's something I'll say right now. Yes, it's this has been by far, I think, for all of us, the most interesting topic we've discussed today, <laughs> and I think that says a lot about where the union are at and and mm-hmm. when they sell Andre Blake that we can't be we can't be doing this again. He can't be his transfer cannot be the most interesting thing about yeah. the union when it happens. Hey. Uh, uh, certainly not for long. Um, Hopefully. So, all right, we got to talk about Mike Pecky because that was just brilliant. If anybody hasn't seen it, he. Blew a gasket about the refs. He had visual aids, and it ties into the union because he used the picture of a uh, who Elias uh, Sanchez uh, Sanchez trying to strangle Gucciniewu, which I, I wouldn't mess with Gucci at his funeral. Man, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mess with Gucci at, at all. And this guy's trying to put his hands on him, and that's that. You know, that's not good. And he used it as a visual aid, is like, yeah, this happened. You know, and he doesn't get suspended for it and all that. And it, I'm not doing it justice. Go out there, go on YouTube, watch it. It's hilarious because it's you know it's Pecky who's who's a great character in this league, and he's got that that great New York accent to kind of punctuate it all. Um, so it, it, it's hilarious. He got mad at a printer. He got mad at a <laughs> and and that's only because the printer didn't print out all of the visual aids right. that he wanted. Yeah, because he was giving it to the press. Yeah, yeah, the other media guy handing Uh, handing out the visual aids. Yeah, it was great, and you know, but it needed it needed to be said. It needed needed to be said because we don't get it. We I have no idea what is going to be a foul and a card and a red card in a game at this point. I have no idea what's coming from um, the post match analysis by the 
pro referees like mm-hmm. in, um this is this is the thing i think one of the biggest things that hold holds mls back it is people argue about oh it's retirement league or they're getting this player for that or they're not paying players enough they have crap all, referees all that, that's all you know those are all good interesting arguments but the the, the inconsistency in the refereeing the, the poor refereeing that that goes on week in and week out that you don't know i mean players don't know what a foul is and then you have these retroactive situations like you had with and that's completely inconsistent. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, like, you, I mean, you, yeah, exactly. like you, like you reminded me with Alberg with, with that, you know, that bad tackle, which was a bad tackle, but he gets suspended, but the guy trying to strangle Gooch doesn't get suspended. So where, where's, where's the consistency? I think that's all anybody wants is consistency. Let me ask you guys this. It's strange, right, that the union had Albert get suspended for that tackle in the same game that, you know, Gooch got uh, a hand around his neck. Yeah. And and the the sort of the guy who brings it up is the coach of Real Salt Lake. I, I don't know what what have you guys thought of the reaction from the union about that situation, which has, you know, been far more muted than what Mike Petke delivered. I always I mean I always think it's tough because it's it's a no win situation for you as a coach. Like if if you're if you're asking what I think of Jim Curtin's opinion on it, you know, I think Jim was frustrated, and if you if you talk to Jim off record, he'd probably go, "That's yeah. freaking ridiculous." I mean, Jim Jim's a different personality than Mike Pecky. I mean, he, he you know, yeah. And, and so you're going to get a little different response. Yeah, um, you know, I I'm I'm positive that everyone in the union organization was probably as frustrated as Mike Pecky mm-hmm. was. So I, you know, is is it valuable to you to get fined by the league for for calling them out? Um, I think in this case it, it is. And, you know, I I, I, w- I was happy to see that there was a GoFundMe set up to pay for Petkey's <laughs> upcoming fine from the league. <laughs> um, and you could have probably done the same thing if Curtin had done that no, that same sure. thing. I, you know, I think, and I don't, but you know, I think Greg is right too. I don't, it, you don't see Jim do that kind of thing very often. He's very measured when he gives his post game press conference. Yeah. He's very measured on the sideline. Yeah. I mean, he has moments. He'll have moments with the fourth fourth official. He'll have some moments yeah. with the linesman that you'll see. I mean, and, and you know, every every soccer coach does yeah but but to to what degree he does it's kind of you know it's different than like you know a guy like a ben olsen or or mike pecky who just have that kind of that little explosiveness to their personality it it honestly it's not going to get you anywhere i mean you've seen this happen in mls before with with guys blowing up at the referees you know we, we um and the refereeing doesn't improve. You get a fine from the league, and everybody moves on, and mm-hmm. it's forgotten about two weeks later. So, you know, I'm I'm not terribly mad not to to see the union not go crazy about right. it. Right, right. But at the same time, I'm I'm glad when I see guys like Petke yeah. ripping into the league for and this because it's and, crap at this and, point. And Hackworth did it. I mean, a couple of years ago, I remember he said, you know, I'm I I got the checkbook out, and he just. Psh- he didn't do it quite to the ferociousness of Pecky, but he said, I can't remember exactly the game, but he said, you know, I'm going to get fined for this, so I'm just going to say it. And he kind of, you know, vented his frustrations about the refereeing. And, and Sure. And so, so one one thing I'll, I'll say is that I, I agree with you that I, I don't necessarily think that would be a great thing for Jim Curtin to do, you know, given, given uh, how he normally uh, handles press conferences and all that. But I, as the, the fan side of me, would have liked to see the club in some way indicate to the fan base that they were, you know, emotionally into mm-hmm. or emotionally, you know, responding to the fact that Albert got suspended 
and there was no suspension for for grabbing the neck of one of their players. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I even if it's not the coach going out there and going like, you know, here's a fine. I hate printers. I hate everything. <laughs> like even if it's not that, you know, that might not be the approach you have to take. But but as as a fan, you're watching this and you're going, yeah, you know, he's the points he's making are correct, and the passion that he's making them with is also correct. Mm-hmm. And you don't there's there's really no, you know, even if Jim Curtin's not going to do that, there hasn't been any anything similar from the union. And I know that doesn't, you know, that, that fits very well with Ernie Stewart's personality and probably his approach is very, you know, measured analytical approach. But as a fan, you sort of want some acknowledgement from the club that, Hey, we recognize that not only is this wrong, but it's the sort of wrong that, you know, fills you with, Mm. you know, those strong emotions. And, you know, we're responding the same way you as fans are. Righteous indignation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I I don't disagree. It would be, and, and you know, fans too. And it, yeah, you know, I think also players. If it makes the, you know, the players feel like, you know, somebody has their back. Because I'm sure, you know, there's some guys on RSL will probably look, look at Pecky like, yeah, man, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a, you get the feeling that you know the guy's got your back. I mean, I think that's been one of the things that I've always been subtly disappointed with Jim Curtin about, though, is that he's he's not as passionate on the sideline as some other coaches. Mm-hmm. And I think the players need it sometimes. They need that yeah. kick in the butt to 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 get out there and get after it. You know, they, they need to be screamed at in the locker yeah. room at halftime sometimes and have a chair thrown across the room. Yeah, it, no, I, I don't disagree. And, and that gets old, too, and it's got to be kind of a measured thing because yeah. there's, there's coaches, you know, we're, but Jim, we're, I mean, we're, we're Jim, hockey guys. Uh, Tortorella, he comes yeah. around. He's a guy that just that's always is yelling, yelling, yelling. Yeah. You tune that out eventually. Yeah. I mean, but... You go, this guy is a jerk. Right, Tortorella exactly. is a jerk. <laughs> you, you just I hate him. You know, <laughs> Wow. I do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I brought him up, yeah, but but I'm just using as an example <laughs> of you know that that gets old. But yeah, in a measured way, it, it, it would be nice. And you know, we're not there in a the locker room when it's closed. We're not. You know, we're not there at halftime. I think there's been half. But, but even you, I, you know, I yeah. wouldn't mind seeing Jim Rima guy out on the sideline once in a while, yeah. and and or, or Rima out an official on the sideline. Yeah. I no, I don't I, think that I, hurts. I don't, I don't disagree. We've, we've I mean, seen a lot of mediocre know, soccer in Philadelphia. You see it in baseball. Like you see in baseball. You see it in, yeah, you see it in all sports where you know, yeah. that, you, know, you, know, you do it in a measured kind of kind well, of fashion. Think about, think about remember when Ernie Stewart talked at the at the you know fan meeting and he said you know Bruce Arena is one of the best man managers I've ever met and Jim Curtin's you know a very very good man man manager in that same way and I think Bruce Arena does strike a very good balance where he can he can look and he can act extremely yeah. upset. And he can at least let you. He he gives you the feeling. He lets you know that he does have a breaking point, mm-hmm. but he he somehow never really reaches that breaking point. Or yeah. if he does, he he does it in a controlled way. And I think letting letting fans know that hey, just like you guys, we have breaking points. You don't really, you don't have to go over them, but you have to mm-hmm. let people know that they're there. Yeah. I think is is a good way to connect emotionally with the fan base, and that's something the union the union are definitely having trouble with right now. I think that's well um, said. Yeah, and, for sure. Can 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 I, we talk about one more thing before we do predictions? Sure. And that's so. I was been thinking about this from where we started with the number ten, and I want to know what you guys think because people have talked a lot about bringing in number ten and how that could be sort of a game changer. And at the same time, we also all sit here and go, you know, the union don't seem to have a team that's good enough to compete right now. And so I I really want to get a sense of where you guys think the number ten fits in. Is if they bring in the right player, is it the sort of thing where now now they are competitive, now they could be competitive, or is the number 10 sort of the first step that you guys think they need towards becoming a competitive team? And then it'll also take, you know, a couple other pieces. Because I, I see like a disconnect there where people say the unions suck, they're not good. 
we need to bring in a number 10, which, which on the one hand makes it sound like, hey, we're not good. But then the other hand says, but we would be if we just had this one, one extra piece. If, if you asked me this, if you had asked me that question a week or so ago, I would have said, yeah, if they get the right guy, plug him in there. Because I think a lot of the guys on this team, they're very complimentary parts. But if you get the right kind of high-level, high-priced guy to come in there to be that number 10 to, to pull the strings, I said, yeah, this, this that could push them over. After watching these last two games, I'm not 100% convinced of that. Um. <laughs> It's tough because MLS is, is is very mediocre. So, you know, I'm looking at the standings here. Union on 23 points uh, are off the red line. Columbus is up there with 31 points right now. You know, I've seen, you know, the teams towards the bottom of the playoff race now, Columbus and the Red Bulls. Are they that much better than Philadelphia? No. Are they that much better after Philadelphia signs a 10, I'd say it's it's almost comparable with, mm-hmm. with those teams. So I think you can bring in one player and it, and they can they can get a boost from that, not only because it's something different, but it's something that they really need. So I, I think you can you can add one guy and and maybe make a run at the playoffs. Um if if you're asking about supporter shield or MLS Cup, you're three, four players away. Yeah. But if if your goal this year is is to really push for a playoff spot, I think one player does it. I think I think that ten can really help you get to that that red line. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I I do think that that one of the weird that that's one of the strange narratives to the season, and the other strange narrative to me is whether the the counterintuitive way that Ernie Stewart built the team in the off season, it still still is just a really strange one to me. You know, the the whole it seemed very clear what the union needed in the off season, and they instead went out and got very different pieces. They didn't go out and get a frontline striker. They got a you know took a flyer on a, a lower division guy. They didn't go out and get a a number six, they went out and got a, you know, a sort of deep distributor. And I, I think this is, this season is a strange referendum on, on trying to, trying to go that backdoor route. And it'll be interesting to see if, uh, you know, they stick with that because it, it is a more probably cost efficient way to build a team, or if they do decide that, Hey, we just have to, you know, address these issues straight on by spending on guys that very clearly fit the very clear needs we have. That's all. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Very good. Uh, all right, predictions, guys. Predictions. Uh, I'll go with you, Mike, first. Um, I'm going to say 1-1. One, one. No, you know, I'm going to change that. I'm going to say nil-nil. <laughs> God. I, I, I mean, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. I mean, if the Union would have played 180 minutes in Columbus, they wouldn't have scored. Mm. And you're going to have basically the same group plus CJ Sapong. Um. I'm gonna go one one. Uh, I, I, I I just I I think they'll be better at home. I don't I, think they'll I, be good. Yeah, because I think Columbus, if they get, they're gonna look at it. We get four points out of this. They'll go on the road. They'll look for a point. And the Union, if if they can scrape up a goal, sure. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm gonna say one one. So so Mike, how many goals would the Union have to score for you to be okay with us trying to trick? John Tortorella on the coming out of this podcast. Because <laughs> that's, that's what else. There's not a number. Sure. There's not a number. No, I yeah. never want to talk to him. <laughs> oh man! All right, then in that case, I'll, I'll go with I'll go with uh, probably. I'm going to go two two. I think the Union are going to be stretching out. A little I hope bit. so. I would love to see some yeah, goals, man. If 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 there's four goals in that game tomorrow night, I'll. 
I'll be shocked. What do you, <laughs> out of these two teams? What do you What do you think they need out of Wednesday Saturday? Do you think they need at least four points? Yeah, to yeah. To, to really, I think they need points. No matter how you get them, they need points. But they need four points. Yeah, you know, they need to average. They need to average above two points at th- home the rest they, of the year, they, guaranteed. They, they needed one point out of the last two games. I yeah. thought. Yeah, and, and they got. And they got. They got nothing. So. I mean, the, the thing is, it, the thing that, that gets lost in the shuffle, though, is that as bad as they are playing going forward, they haven't given up a ton of good chances, even with John McCarthy in goal. Mm-hmm. They haven't, you can't say that, oh, if they would have had, you know, Andre Bleak, things would have been a lot different. They've given up some some goals, but... Yeah, you know, we, did, we didn't even talk about yeah, that. Like, uh, and he, I want to give a shout-out to John McCarthy, who's been absolutely phenomenal for, yeah, for the two games that he's, he, he's come he's, in. He's played so well. He's been the best player for the Union right now. And I think a lot of people going into this were, were really down on him because if you compare him to Andre Blake, he's always going to be second by a good distance yeah. because Andre Blake is Andre Blake. But he's he's a much better goalkeeper than he was when he came here. He's a lot more confident. He's better with his hands. He's th- better in the air. I thought he was he's terrific against Columbus. It he's, took that, he's you know he's a young goalkeeper who's getting better. He's, it took that crazy know. deflection off Josh Yarrow yeah. for for Columbus to finally score in that game. Yeah. I, yeah, I, and, I have no and, problem with John McCarthy. Absolutely not. No, he's he's played very well. I th- yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's no raisin bully, but he's been pretty good. <laughs> Oof. Oh man. <laughs> uh, on that note, I'm wait. kidding, John. If John listens to this, which I, I don't know if he does, he's way better than raisin bully. Yes. he's much I better. That with my heart. I, yes. Anyway. <laughs> I want to thank Adam Can for joining us. As always, Adam, uh, tell us about your most recent writing and where people can read it. Just doing tactical analysis at Philly Soccer Page still. Uh, every every game God that, bless I, you. that I'm watching, I will uh, I will put something up uh, at least for people to discuss and put in comments about how they feel for me for watching the game. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. I uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was fun. I yep. think. Yeah, uh, kind of. Thank you, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will catch you next week.